0: Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegaard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. And it's my pleasure today to speak with a, a major player in a fledgling industry related to the beef business, which is much talked about. Supporters are almost Jesuit like in their support, others, though, remain sceptical with many questions. That fledgling industry is the use of asparagopsis or seaweed in limiting methane emissions from livestock, with the end game being a reduction in carbon emissions. On the grill today, the CEO of a company called CH4 Global. CH4 Global is one of the big players in the asparagopsis world and the boss is Dr. Adam Main. Adam, welcome and thanks for your time today on The Grill for Beef Central.
1: Yes, yeah, good morning and thanks for having me on.
0: Adam, uh, let's tell listeners the structure here. Uh, CH4 Global is a private company, one of a number of licensees from Future Feed. How is this working? What are you licensed to actually do?
1: Look, It's, it's a long story behind the uh, the Red Seaweed, but uh, the cut. Right through to the sort of the pointy end, the CSIRO developed up the, the science. They did the learning, they did the hard yards, and they, they created this brand new technology of this seaweed that has a dramatic uh, reduction on uh, the methane production in a rumen of a uh, cow or a sheep or a camel. And they chose to then go and uh, spin a company out called Future Feed. Uh, Future Feed was then tasked on behalf of the CSIRO to license out the use of um, the technology and the ability to make a claim that if you do what it says on the pack and feed the, uh, the rumen animal, uh, the right dose, you can expect up to a 90% decrease in, uh, methane production in that rumen animal. So they, uh, had a structured approach to getting people to use the technology and be able to make that claim. And that was through a license arrangement. And the great news for CH4 Global is we were the first. We were the first licensee uh, or the license holder. And not only that, I mean, that's one achievement, but it was actually the, the background work to get to that point. We've had a very long relationship with CSIRO and FutureFeed, particularly. And it's one that we've enjoyed um, uh, over the, the last four years. Yeah. So uh, Rob Kinley, the godfather of asparagopsis, uh, is someone that I know well and personally. And um, working with the CSIRO on making this technology go from a scientific breakthrough to
0: a commercial
1: reality is something that we've absolutely enjoyed doing uh, along the way with FutureFeed.
0: FutureFeed? has, in fact, the global intellectual property rights for the use of asparagopsis seaweed as a feed supplement for livestock to lower methane emissions. That's the story, isn't it?
1: Correct, yeah. 100%. So the CSIRO generate amazing research every day and they are on a path to uh, commercialize um, the findings of, of people like uh, Dr. Uh, Rob Kinlay and this is their this is their, uh vehicle, their model for getting this uh, amazing technology out to the world.
0: Adam, you have a PhD in marine biology with an extensive background in the salmon industry, in particular. It's a long way from fish farming to measuring methane emissions from a bovine. How did you get there?
1: Yeah, the the salmon industry is amazing for someone like uh, in my position to learn how aquaculture works. So for me. I entered the salmon industry when it was a you know a big uh, contributor to the production primary production in Tasmania, and it was you know generating a good amount of income, probably about four hundred million dollars for the industry. Ten years later, when I left, it was the largest primary industry sector in Tasmania, and it was bigger than all the other primary industry sectors combined. And it was worth a billion dollars when I left. So the growth in the salmon industry was phenomenal it was um something that people should recognize as a success story it has its um, limitations and its concerns and and um that's another whole podcast but um look at the end of the day they do a brilliant job for aquaculture and it was a, a, a fantastic area for me to get experience in what is available when farming the, the ocean so i learn about pearls i learn about oysters mussels tuna kingfish salmon so, at some point, you know, you need to move on and try different things. And the seaweed is actually not that different in terms of there's always been a focus in the aquaculture industry to look at how do you balance the nutrients in a system. So, if a fish does a poo and that poo has nutrients, how do you take that nutrients out of the sea so that it's not contributing or positively impacting the, the broad area? And one of the things that's been identified for a long time is seaweed. Seaweed sucks up food or nitrates, phosphate, yep. carbon. Okay. So it's actually a kind of a jump, a, a positive jump from learning about those animals that we farm in the ocean that make the nutrients, and now I'm working with the uh, the plants that use those nutrients.
0: Get let's get to the the chase here, and it's going to be a long saga story. I can, I can tell you, where. but let's start where it starts. Some figures, pretty well known, I think. Australian ag responsible for about. 13% of net CO2 emissions in this country and about 70% of that comes from livestock is is that a fair assessment
1: Yeah, look it changes daily but that yeah. sounds about right mate. Yep.
0: In a perfect world where all the research works perfectly where the growth process is streamlined to absolute efficiency and the distribution is refined to best possible practice what is the end game with the benefits of a foreign industry being locked into the asparagopsis process in a perfect world if everything worked the way you want it to? What's the benefit? Okay, so
1: first of all, um, the the one that we speak about the most is the methane reduction. So let's just take that as, that's what asparagopsis does. That will allow the animal to operate differently. And when people feed cattle on a feedlot or a dairy, they're not actually feeding the cattle, they're feeding the microbes in the stomach. So our asparagopsis, changes the microbes so that the cow absolutely has no impact on their day-to-day life. The microbes in the fourth gut, or the, in the rumen, are the ones that get changed. So what we have is a cow that's unknown to unknown the cow, it's now not making methane. It still burps, but it's not burping methane. It still wanders around, it still eats. There's no change to the cow. So that's great. That's number one. So the methane's gone, or it's dramatically reduced, I should say. The next one is the cow now has more energy to hold on to because it's not wasting energy burping out that methane and carbon, the hydrogen and the carbon. So the cows are now also got to find something to do with that extra energy that they were wasting on methane production. So they either put it into meat or they put it into milk. Now there's a lot of research on is it 10%, is it 20%. Look, this is going to be an ongoing thing. How much benefit is there for an F1 versus an F2 Wagyu or a Brahman, you know that we will learn those those finer details, but there will be a productivity gain, either measured in more milk and meat or better feed conversion ratio, which is the the foundation of the salmon industry. How do you get a big fish or a big cow and feed them less? So that comes as a result of asparagus too. The other one is there's a massive global push at the moment for us to all be better citizens of planet Earth and. By that, it is about making conscious choices in regards to the uh, the products that you consume. And we're seeing tremendous demand, tremendous pressure from Australian markets, from Australian consumers, European, English in particular, uh, most recently, um, the big companies of the world, Danone, Nestle, Cadbury, all on record saying they will pay a premium for met- a low methane products or inputs or raw materials. The other one is there's, a, there's also, in the last few years, a really big push for wellness, measuring wellness of cattle and sheep. One of the good news things is that asparagopsis does have a positive effect on the uh, not only the energy production or retention of energy that um, is lost to methane, but we're, we're now looking at measuring or putting some metrics around what's the improvement in the wellness for the cow as well. There are some early indications that we um, are are following up on uh, better heat stress management, offsetting the use of other things like ionophores. What is the benefit there from a wellness perspective as well from using asparagopsis? So it's not just the methane. It it, it is a whole package of stuff there to to look at.
0: Yeah, Uh, just a basic question here. If uh, methane emissions dissipate after 12 months, I think is the the term, why are methane emissions from burping cattle a problem?
1: Because there's 1.5 billion of them. So, look, there's a lot of debate. And whenever there's a new technology or something new, there's a lot of debate. The debate is on how long does the methane have the effect. But there is no debate on do cows produce methane. Cows do produce methane. 100% 100% full-stop period. Can we, for a whatever period of time, for whatever reduction of what effect it would have had in the environment if it's uh, so many days or so many years, can we change the system, the cattle system, so that they aren't producing methane in the first place? Change the, the language or the dialogue or the focus of the argument or the, or the investigation on what is the actual impact? What we need to start with is, here's a technology is a natural product i'll emphasize natural seaweed product dried and put into the cow's feed at a really small rate a pinch of day keeps the, bloody, the doctor away as such but um if we do that we can significantly have an immediate impact on methane production in room and animal.
0: time for a break our guest today the ceo of ch4 global one of the big players in australia's asparagopsis business Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Shield MH14 protection against ammonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your wieners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with BovaShield and RhinoCard available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available, subject to approval. Elders, for Australian agriculture. Welcome back. On the grill today, the boss of a company called CH4 Global. Their business is asparagopsis. Adam, I'll get to what CH4 is uh, specifically doing, but broader industry trials first. Uh, the, the chief positive, I think, is absolutely there's no evidence of any feed safety concerns from beef coming from cattle fed as part of the asparagopsis uh, trials?
1: None. No. So i um, encourage. I encourage. So after 10 years in the salmon industry and seeing a lot of um, misrepresentation, uh, myths that cycle and get gen new myths that get generated, I encourage anyone listening to the podcast today, look at the Future Feed website, look at the um, the CH4 Global website. If you're a science-thinking person, you can delve even deeper. So all of the links to scientific papers are there. Meat and Livestock Australia endorsed papers, CSIRO endorsed papers, long arms are short there is no impact on the
0: cow the the key factor about what we're doing here of course at the end is the end game and what about meat taste there appears to be solid research suggesting little if any difference to the taste or the flavor of this is there there's a difference between the two and and importantly the no. tenderness of of uh, Asparagopsis infused beef is not impacted at all either it, it, it's
1: it's probably the second most asked question the first most asked question I get is well the first one is Can I feed it to a politician or my husband? Because they make a lot of meat. (laughs) The second most often question I get asked is about the potential impact and safety. And in part of that is people ask me, does it taste salty or does it taste like seaweed when you eat the beef? Now, I can tell you from my own scientific research, by eating this meat, absolutely not. No, look, I'll go back to the, this is a microbe intervention technology. It's not a chemical. It's not a colour, a dye, an antibiotic. It is a natural product that is the closest thing to it is the is the barley or the cotton tips or the, the hay that's in there. So its uh, impact is um, absolutely zero in terms of flavour and taste. Now, that might upset some people because they might think it's a good idea for it to taste a little bit salty, like your, your saltbush um, lamb, for example. But unfortunately, there is no taste uh, effect. <laughs>
0: Now I'll get to some further uh, the toughest question later on, but let's get to where you CH Four Global are. What what you're doing different? Instead of harvesting this um, particular seaweed from the wild, you're actually growing it onshore in ponds. Could you explain that process and why you chose it rather than take it from the wild?
1: Yeah, look, a beach cast seaweed is. Um uh, harvesting the seaweed that washes up on the beach, uh, we, I get asked that a lot. Um, do we harvest it off the beach? Do we go out to the wild and harvest it? And the, the short answer is no. There are some very, very sustainable seaweed collection and seaweed beach casting um, businesses in Tasmania and France, but ours, um, quite simply, we're farmers. So we are a pure agriculture um, scenario where we farm the seaweed as if we were farming hay. And actually, one of the species, the cold water species, almost identically follows the hay cycle um, for, for open hay. So if we've got to get the headset that when people think about where's it going to come from, how's it growing, we farm it. Now, you can farm in the ocean and you can farm on land. That's fantastic. It gives us options. We as a company are focusing on the land aspect. It has all the benefits of drawing out of the carbon, the phosphates, and the uh, nitrates out of the ocean because we return any water back in the sea cleaner than when it comes in, but we have a lot more control on land. And if you can't wake up one day and go and become an asparagopsis farmer, it takes a bit of work, and that work for us has been invested in the land base, and we're at a point now where we can see that's going to have the lowest cost of goods for us as a company. Right.
0: What is it actually, Adam? Is it a algae that att- attaches itself to something and then grows? And how saline is the water compared to the ocean, and importantly... How big are your ponds, and how much production yep. are you are you planning?
1: Super quick on the life cycle of asparagopsis. It's an archaic red seaweed. It's old, very very old, and it's very simple or elegant, if I should say elegant. So it doesn't. Um, it's it's not a fancy new species. So it has relies on some very basic biology to get through life. And one of those things is it has a stage where it grows on rocks and reefs and other seaweed plants. But then it also has a stage that's mobile, so it's its in-between phase. It's a teenage phase where it's it's not stuck down. It's out there free-floating and finding new grounds, finding new population areas, and it's that one that you can farm uh, in land-based pots. So, yes, in the ocean you farm the the parent plant or the big fluffy plant that you see if you put a pair of goggles on. But when you're farming on land, you're farming a, you're farming another type of the life cycle of this plant. It just so happens that that is very conducive to an aquaculture scenario and it does grow well. And that's how we're going to hit the scale. There'll always be forays into the marine environment as well and that should never be written off. But I can tell you co 2 Global's approach is 100% land-based. The ponds need to be big. We need to scale. So we started four years ago on Petri Dishes. And now I'm talking hundreds of thousands of liters per pond. So the scale in three years of sort of really getting into it has gone from let's say to the uh, the simplest three liters to three hundred thousand liters and 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 bigger. So that happened in three year timeframes. It's it's a it's a lot of hard work to get from three liters to three hundred thousand, but um, that's that's what we've been doing for the last three years.
0: Can you uh, encourage this seaweed growth with supplements or does it just grow naturally?
1: Yeah, seaweed um, can be tricky as a farming um, crop, but it also can be very much like hay where it needs, instead of soil, it needs good water, it needs good sun, and it just needs good uh, environment, so temperature. So if you can get the basics right, um, natural seawater, gives it everything it needs. So the seawater has all of the nutrients it needs, it has all of the microbiome that float around in the ocean that attach to the seaweed that help them do their processes. So there's something absolutely fantastic about giving it the seawater. But other than that, we just need to keep it uh, happy in climate and then happy in, in life. And it will grow, which is fantastic.
0: So how often do you harvest and what's the daily take or monthly take in terms of kilos?
1: Coming from 10 years in the salmon industry, and this is something that I'll give them credit for, they realize that they need to be able to harvest salmon year-round if they're going to get into the game. If they're going to compete with Norway, Chile, they need to be able to find a way to be able to provide salmon fresh all year-round. So I came into this uh, seaweed um, industry thinking, well, that's what I want too. I want to be able to harvest what I need to harvest and supply what I need to supply, and yeah, look, ch 4 Global, the team, the biologists and, and all the scientists um, agree. So the plan for us and the way that we've approached this is this grows throughout the whole year and we constantly harvest. It's daily harvest to demand, um, to supply. Okay, so you
0: dry this asparagopsis. Is it naturally dried or is it heated in any way? You can do
1: it. It's really interesting because a historical way of drying seaweed is sun drying it um, Say so you're an, uh, an, an Indonesian seaweed farmer. You dry it on, on a rack in the sun. Now that works. Drying in the shade works. Uh, dehydrating works. However, for, commercially, uh, the CSIRO and Future Feed saw it in the license that the best methodology that had the um, the most applicability in terms of drying performance, and then also meeting the import and export requirements for so sending this material overseas and bringing it in was that a freeze-dry was recognized by AQUIS or Biosecurity Australia as an approved methodology. So we became really good at freeze-drying. Even though our company is about um, feeding cows and learning how to grow seaweed, we also had to become experts and artisans in freeze-drying. Now, that's um, been a major focus for three years, and that will continue. However, just so for, for, for the people that are quite savvy out there, it will not be the future. There are many other... Amazing and brand new innovative drying techniques coming uh, out every day um, for a whole range of products. COVID gave a massive boost in regards to looking at how do you preserve food in a crisis situation. And there's been some amazing um, new developments for drying uh, fresh produce. And we as a company would, uh, would be um, um, uh, backward of us not to be looking at all of those technologies. So, uh, I'd be more than happy to come back and do another podcast when I can start talking about this brand new technology that we're going to apply in uh, late 2023, early 2024. And so it's, under the, it's under the covers at the
0: moment. All right, okay. So what's the yield at present, Adam? You take a kilo of weed out and dry it, etc., and freeze dry it and then mill it and crush it. Uh, how much product do you get from a kilo of weed?
1: Yeah, so when you start out, you, you, you learn and you trade. And when we were learning our trade, the expectation was you take out 90% or 95% of the water to make the product safe, dry, it's, everything's encapsulated, but it was more from a water activity point of view, shelf life, export, import. We've actually come a long way since then, and every time that we get another 10% uh, of the ability to keep 10% of the moisture or treat the material in a different way to keep 10% of the biomass, it means that we're increasing the number of cows that we can feed with the same footprint, with the same activity. So I would say, if I had to pick some numbers right now, we were losing in the early days 90% of the weight or the biomass of the uh, the plant to lost water, and um, the condition of the material was good, but it wasn't great. Where we are now, I reckon we're probably, without sort of you know, going uh, over over too much, somewhere between 30 and 40% improvement on biomass after our drying technique so that means for the same pond as such or the same activity we can get to a heck of a lot more cows with just uh, an improved drying process
0: so let's go further let's say in a feedlot how much does one beast need in its feed every day to get the optimum reduction in methane emissions and for how long 0.5%
1: of their DMI or their TMR. so depending on what that is, let's talk DMI, dry matter, um, I'm going to say on average that's about 10 kilos, somewhere between 10 and 14 kilos per day. Um, So that equates pretty much to a squash ball. So imagine a bale of hay, they can get up to probably 20 kilos. Let's just say a bale of hay, and you put that on a table and you put a squash ball next to it. That's the kind of ratio that we're talking, like a one to one to two hundred or plus, one to two hundred plus. Wow. It's a, it's a very small amount. It's point five
0: percent. And how long do you have to feed it to that beast?
1: Yeah, so for us at the moment, it is a feed every day. It's an apple a day. Wow. So we aren't at the point where we want to uh, uh, look at technologies that maintain or keep it in the in the uh, the stomach for longer. It's so. That then puts us on a path to work with those um, farmers who um, meet and greet their cows at least once a day in terms of feeding, so that's dairies and um, feedlots. So that's the market for us right at the moment. If you see your cows or you're feeding your cows um, in some way or supplementing their feeding in some way every day, our product goes into your normal um, day-to-day business.
0: Here's the crucial question, Adam, um, uh, per head of cattle in a feedlot. Where the application is easiest, and we'll come to the other problem later, what's the cost per head?
1: Yeah, so the cost per head is something that we work with the, um, the individual off partner. So this is probably number three of the most common question I get asked. Yep. One of the things I just need to make clear is we, we made a decision as a company very early that we wouldn't go about um, trying to make as much seaweed as we could and then flogging it on the market a dollar per kilo per day, or a whatever value of dollars per kilo per day, at nutrient elders or bunny. So the way we do it is actually we work with the intake or the offtake partner, and we build a business model around the use of the seaweed into their business, so that the the business can see not only where the benefits are coming from, either reduced FCR or increased weight of, of meat, but we also help those companies that are with our offtake partners through the carbon claim process, through the access to export premium market, right through to um, just the uh, understanding, the, uh, the, yeah, the getting the metrics around the improved performance, we then work with our partners to go, right, we've done this. This is what we've come into you with in terms of our knowledge. This is what happened with your particular cows. And I'm glad to say that the cost should be neutral to the farmer we are not making a product that will put a burden, additional burden on farmers. That's a big claim, and that one will be proved over the next couple of years. And, and the rationale for that, just to make it really clear, I just spoke to one of our off-take agreement partners this morning who are out in Windy. It's tough. It is tough being a seedlotter, yeah. it's tough in dairy, it's tough owning cows on a hobby farm. We are looking at really low prices out there. We're looking at yeah. hay prices. We're looking at a drought coming. Um, so we have been super conscious from day one. If we create a technology that's going to cost a prohibitive amount per day, then we might as well stop doing what we're doing. It ain't the case.
0: The carbon emissions part of the game, though, though has not been proven yet, has it?
1: No. So well, no. there's two parts to the carbon, yeah. um, carbon story. You've got the voluntary market, yeah. and then you've got the Australian ACCUs. So I'm on a a working group. There's, oh, the last count, 68 of us, experts. Oh, oh, sorry, let me just make that really clear. (laughs) I don't consider myself an expert. There are people, professors, people that understand the carbon market, have gone through it for other things like um, biochar, uh, forestry, offsetting. They are working right now on putting together the package for the Australian government to consider in regards to ACCU. With that said, there's also a voluntary market. Now, people, you don't talk about the voluntary market at a dinner table. Some people have very strong views about it. Some are very positive. Some are negative. That's absolutely an individual choice. But it is a market. And we do not sell our product based on a guaranteed um, return from carbon. It is absolutely something that has to be explored and understood because it's who owns it, who keeps it, who takes the financial reward from it. That is a very, very individual thing.
0: And a complex question indeed. So but they, let, me, let me get to the application, Adam. Feedlots, it appears, simple enough. Uh, dairy cattle, again, pretty simple, I guess. But for free-range cattle, the vast majority of the Australian head, how, how do you get asparagopsis to numbers that big all across this wide brown land?
1: I'm going to use an answer that I heard from a farmer on, a, um, one, on the, one of these ACCU meetings. so there's 68 people including. Big farmers, big farmers out in Queensland, you know, in the back country, um, growing amazing uh, uh, cattle um, on large properties. And one of the things that I get a lot is I'll be I'll be at a conference, an uh, agri futures conference or something, and um, I'll talk about all the fantastic things. And then someone will ask me, "What about the cattle in you know in the back country, in the in the big uh, broad acre country?" And I'll say, "Look, we're not ready for that yet." And I swear to God, some people say, well, then this technology is no good. <laughs> I scratch my head. I scratch my head. Throwing out a technology because you don't have an answer and you've only been doing it for five minutes or such, if you know what I'm trying to say, that's not a good mindset to be in. So the best answer I've ever heard was someone got on the, 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 uh, a phone call, 68 people on the, call, the video call, and the person's like, well, I don't think this is any good because you can't get out there. What are we going to do? I can't see any way that we are. It was a scientist. Anyway, we're going to be able to get this out to broadacre cattle, and a broad or a, a broadacre cattle specialist from Queensland interrupted the person and said, "Hey, you focus on getting this ACCU thing through. You scientists focus on getting this as the best version of itself. You let us worry about how we'll get it out <laughs> to the cow. We've been doing that for years. It's, scientists don't tell us how to fence. Scientists don't tell us how to do remote watering." Scientists give us the technology like drones, but they don't go out there and fly them every day to save hundreds of kilometres around round trips. You let us worry about that. We'll come up with a way of getting a feeder at a water trough or a, okay. a, uh, a delivery mechanism that works for us. You, yeah. you just worry about what you've got to worry about, and I love that answer. Okay,
0: fair enough. Now, maybe uh, I've heard of experiments with lick box, et cetera, and things like this.
1: Yeah, look, yeah. My, and I'll be honest, it's fantastic. It's exciting to think about all of the options. You've got your drum liquor barrels, you've got your liquor flops, and I've also um, heard of individual drone flights dropping off packages of uh, molasses-laced feed in front of a cow based on their RFIDs, ear tag, and everything in between. You name it, people are looking at it. So the most exciting thing is do I have an answer? No. Nah. Will I? Yep. So, so it's about how do I get from A to B. And um, the good news is there's some really exciting and innovative people thinking about it.
0: Now, the link between carbon emissions and the application of asparagopsis, is this being examined by the powers that be and how long before it might be signed off?
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's a process. I would like that process fast-tracked, of course, yeah. in regards to all four things around asparagopsis. But to to give the, uh, the government the credit that um, it is a process, so we understand that. And um, we could complain about it or we can get on and get the information together to go into the process. So we will um, do that. We'll follow the process. There is Again, I am by no means the lead in this area. Um, we have people within CH4 Global that are, but we definitely are leaning on these experts and there's an amazing range of people out there that know this. They know how to put the pressure and the right pressure on. So we will contribute and CH4 is a willing participant to do whatever we can to allow that process to go as
0: fast as possible. So what do you want, 18 months, two years or something like that, or longer? I reckon if, you,
1: if, if I hear my, my expert people that tell me things, it's, you, you, you know this, because you've just said those exact, no, it, it's 18 months to two years, is my understanding. Okay,
0: now overall, is it fair to summarize your business? Is the carbon credit alignment and generation the key to the future of the asparagus process? No, a major benefit, but so, not key. So, we'll, it will still work and still be cost efficient, even without yeah. that? No, and this is this is.
1: I appreciate that question. We have gone and built a cost of goods model, and a production model, and a scalable model without the offset or the value of a carbon credit attached to the use of the asparagus. Anyone that wants to make this a success in Australia or globally, will follow suit. You can never sell something to anyone based on a promised premium. (laughs) That's a road to a bad end. Never promise a premium, never promise a credit. Make sure your business model stands on its own with your cost of goods and scalability, and then reap the rewards of those premiums and those credits when they come available.
0: Dr Adam Main, CEO of CH4 Global, the business with a huge, huge promise and I would suggest a mountain to climb. Good luck, Adam, and thanks for your time on the grill for Beef Central today.
1: Beautiful. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it.
0: And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Elders and Reinergard by Zoetis.